0: Hey, everybody, welcome to twitch.tv slash FB Outsiders. It's the Football Outsiders radio hour, not on the radio and not always an hour, but always on Twitch, 1 p.m. Eastern on Thursdays. Hi, I'm Aaron Schatz from Football Outsiders. I'm joined this week by Mike Tannier and our special guest, Dr. Jen Welter, who I will fully introduce in a second, but first, just to briefly uh, update everybody on football news if you haven't been on twitter everybody on the jets is now hurt <laughs> <laughs> oh god so yeah if the ir list is longer than the active list we
1: have a problem
0: yes <laughs> carl so carl lawson who's probably the best player on their defense was carted off with a leg injury today and then who else sheldon rankins got hurt
2: yep and denzel mims uh first round pick last year has been like Sort of the talk of camp, good and bad, because people thought he was washed up, and it turns out he was recovering from an illness. From what I've read from Brian Costello, he's injured as well from the New York Post. So Mims, Rankins, and Carl Lawson, the top three agents. So
0: we have you updated on the latest news. The Jets, who were not going to be good this year, are also not going to be good this year. That's the latest.
1: So what I heard is that apparently the med staff is going out. they're, They're calling a timeout, too, because they have an overuse injury.
0: Yeah. Oh, they've been, oh, yeah, I got it. staff is calling a good timeout. The,
2: the trainers are too tired, yes. Yeah. We need a sub. We need a sub.
0: Highly useful title. The other thing I want to announce to Football Outsiders readers and to people who are watching us on Twitch is that we launched the Loser League today. I'm even wearing my Loser League t-shirt right here. Yes. So some of you may remember the Loser League from a couple of years ago. It's a contest we used to run on Football Outsiders, and now it's better than ever. And I get to explain to Jen what it is. Basically, the idea of the loser league is you pick the worst football players of the week. So you have to pick the guys who are going to get the fewest yards and no touchdowns. But you can't just pick bench players, because if a guy gets fewer than eight passes thrown or fewer than three targets, or I think it's it might be 10 passes, eight carries for running backs and three targets for wide receivers, you get a penalty. You get a big penalty. So you need to find guys who are going to get like 13 carries for 39 yards with no touchdowns. Um, this is going to be the Najee Harris special this year, I think, <laughs> given the status of the Pittsburgh offensive line. But um, we are totally psyched to have the loser league back. And uh, oh, I forgot the name of the program to get the special football outsiders emojis. You have to install a program on your computer. And I was going to announce to everybody the name of that program. And now I forget if somebody knows what it is, please put it in the chat. It's called better TTV. Thank you, Philbo Baggins, better TTV. If you install that program now, you will get special football outsiders emojis in your chat. So the loser league this year, is a huge contest with weekly prizes. And a grand prize, and we are really psyched about this, is a trip for two to the big game in Los Angeles and a chance to hang out with me, Football Outsiders Editor-in-Chief, Aaron Schatz, at the big game in Los Angeles. Probably not at the game itself because I'll be in the media area with my laptop, but like before the game, will hang out in Los Angeles. So it's super exciting. First, That's first place for the whole season. There's also prizes for first place every week. Uh, unlike past Loser League years, you change your roster every week to pick the best players, or in this case, the worst players every week who you think are going to score the fewest points. We're really psyched, about the, the, uh, really psyched about the contest this year. Go to footballoutsiders.com. And in the drop-down menu under Fantasy, you will find the Loser League overview or click on the Loser League extra points post and you can get to where you can register your Loser League team for 2021. And uh, it's going to be an awesome contest. We're really psyched to do it this year and we're really psyched about the big uh, prize. So with that with that out of the way, let's introduce this week's special guest. Uh, she is another member of the... Uh, Twitch streaming sports gang. Yes. Um, When do you do your shows usually?
1: We have been generally
0: seven at night.
1: We're going to Monday nights. Um, We're going to be on at 6.30, so you can catch us before Monday night football. Um, Tuesdays, we usually have a special guest. Uh, Last week, we had um, Ray Austin, who is founder of the um, fan-controlled football league, Oh, and former wow, okay. Chicago Bear, uh, great dude uh, about what they're doing to democratize the game. We have had Hall of Famer Warren Moon, um, CFL Hall of Famer Damon Allen, uh, CFL Hall of Famer Nick Lewis. Um, a lot of great guys have come on and, you know and hung out. So we do that. And then we were on Wednesdays, but we're going to go to Thursdays to do that before Thursday night football and kind of do a pregame. And then I'm going to do a lot of side streaming where you can hear um, as I like to say, my colorful commentary. So if the talking (laughs) heads kind of wear you down and you'd rather just like hang out and talk ball with me, um, you can do that. I, I will tell you guys um, I started doing post-game breakdowns last year on Instagram live because my players informed me that people were intimidated by me and they didn't know I was funny. And they're like, yo coach, <laughs> if, they, if they like, if they understood what we do, like from mm-hmm. the locker room and how you break down tape, uh, it'd be really awesome. So you need to just go ahead and get on that. And I was like, so I'm just going to like randomly talk smack. And they're like, yeah, totally pleased. <laughs>
0: And
1: that's going to be um, be on instagram or is that going to be on the twitch stream no we'll be on twitch but i i'm going to tease it on instagram because i i don't you know our audience haven't our audiences haven't yet learned how to talk i don't know if Mm -hmm. you know this it's like i don't know it's worse than like democrats and republicans right now um so i have to like literally like pull them from there to like Drop mm-hmm. them elsewhere. So yep. I think I'll do a little a little teaser on some Instagram, and then bring the whole thing over to. Um,
0: we're doing to the same. We're doing the same thing, trying to uh, get everybody from like Twitter, all of right. our Twitter followers, and trying to get them all to uh, show up on the Twitch show because it's better to be here live for the Twitch show because then you get to talk to us in the chat room and ask questions.
1: Right, like we don't we don't get to answer your questions in real time if you're elsewhere I mean you might be able to catch us but then we're like talking heads like everybody else here right. we're actually at your mercy and
2: for good <laughs> or for bad you know literally literally um, yes Come but it makes it, it, it much more fun
1: right it's it just, makes it much more fun your
0: emojis yeah so. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, i'm gonna have
1: to up my i'm gonna have to up my emote game you know uh mm-hmm. and, and get on you this level there at football outsiders because i could see a few losers coming through although we already saw tim tebow get caught so,
0: so i was gonna say if you have to talk smack to people you have to be like your mom is so skinny she blocks worse than tim tebow
1: Oof. that's not even about skinny though that's the no, problem it's just, that's uncoordinated just
0: or like unphysical
1: or I mean, he was hiding melons like in his arms, but apparently all that muscle was just mirror muscle because
2: it was kind of like, boop, boop, boop. His, his center of gravity yeah. was his forehead. I mean, how? I mean, and you, and you train athletes. I mean, this guy obviously was a Heisman Trophy winner and then he was good enough to play Major League Baseball. How do you reach the point where when you're trying to block, block your biomechanics are so bad that you just sort of fall forward like an oak tree? I don't understand this. Look,
1: being a great blocker is an art but it's also a mentality. And the truth is he didn't want to convert positions before. So why would we think all of these years later, he would be better at it. Now you have to be selfless. You have to be willing to be invisible, to be a great blocker. And clearly that was not his strong suit. I also don't understand how him and another receiver end up in exactly the same spot. Um, And he doesn't even go get the football. So someone's route was wrong, yeah. number one, but number two, the other receiver was hungrier than his because we as coaches don't tend to put two people in the exact same spot. That's a no, that's, that's a bad thing from the offensive part, side of the ball. Mm-hmm. And he lost the battle to his own teammate on on the same play. So all of these things were very bad. That was Tavon
0: Austin as the other. Guy. Yeah, so, that's frightening because I can't believe Tavon Austin is still a thing.
2: Well, he's as likely as Tebow to have been in the wrong place. Like both yeah. of them, uh, you know, Tavon is kind of like a little bit on planet Tavon and Tebow's on planet Tebow. And they they aligned, they collided. <laughs> Those two planets were in the same place. They orbit. collided in midair. It
0: was yeah. like, um,
1: <laughs> you know, they say lightning doesn't strike twice in the same right. place. Right. This time it did twice in the same place at the same time.
0: <laughs> so I should run down Jen's CV for people who are just being introduced to her, either uh, whether you're watching on Twitch or you're listening afterwards on the podcast. Jen Welter is a veteran of women's semi-pro football, including over a decade with the Dallas Diamonds. First woman to coach in a men's professional league, first with the Indoor Texas Revolution, then the first woman to coach in the NFL as a coaching intern with the uh, Arizona Cardinals in 2015 defensive specialist for the Atlanta legends in the old Alliance of American football graduated from Boston College with a master's in sports psychology and also has a psychology PhD from Capella University and used football outsider stats in her, in her dissertation
1: I absolutely did because um, I was doing first of all what you sh- what you're supposed to never do right with a PhD which is go on a mission they tell you that all the time. Um, but I had taken back in the day after I got my, my master's in sports psychology, I realized I had a blind spot, even though I'd played for a really long time, I'd never gone through the drafting scouting process. So I learned how to write scouting reports, not because I wanted to be a scout, but because at that time, you know, that wasn't something that women did, but I wanted to be able to help my guys. And so I keep hearing about this wonderlick test, right. And I <laughs> read it. Right. I'd read it in the scouting report, like really high football IQ, um, blah, 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 bright guy, this, that in direct contrast to surprisingly low Wonderlick score. Right. And I'm like, what is this test? Now, we had looked at every psychological test that actually has some validity when it comes to sports. And all of a sudden I am find this test and then I read about it and I was pissed. Um, As a football human and as a human, you know, know, just everything about it made me mad. So I decide, you know, when I go into my PhD, it starts to become like a mission, right? Every paper that I could write or learn about it. There's no research. There's no nothing. And so I decided I would look at um, quarterbacks just specifically because the stats were more available Mm -hmm. and how first of all, whether or not, because I always said it didn't count. So whether or not teams looked at it, right? Was it statistically statistically significant in draft rank? So yes, first of all, teams do right. look at it because um, quarterbacks were drafted earlier who had higher Wunderlich scores. So you can't say it doesn't matter, right? And then I looked at it with um, five different markers of success as a function of time. Cause you might be able to say he's smarter. He would get in earlier in his rookie year, um, because of, you know, this intelligence. Well, they actually started off worse. So guys with high, higher wonderlick scores started off worse, uh, uh-huh. get, Better a little bit faster, but in year 4.2, which was the median, they were still no better. So essentially it's a stupid test um, (laughs) by looking at, you know, games started and games played weren't, um, there wasn't enough data really, but you have to look at it. But then looking at QBR, DVOA and Mm -hmm. DR, because I didn't want you to say, well, quarterback rating doesn't tell you anything. Okay. So if I didn't do it, they'd say, well, quarterback rating doesn't tell you anything. And then if I only did it, you know, I mm-hmm. found out at that time, how much better you guys' measurements were yet again, because I'm a football people, right? Mm-hmm. Like we understand a yard isn't a yard isn't a yard, like duh. But right. um, so I looked at all of those things and the predictive value was the same. And it's really a stupid test.
2: <laughs> well, you're preaching to the choir there. I have, I have a background in standardized testing and I'm stunned, stunned that that is still being used. That is a a uh, holdover from the 1970s that was being used as a, a corporate readiness test for like young MBA students in a time before we understood anything about, you know, diversity, gender diversity, race diversity, and the biases that can be implicit in the test. And, you know, they're handing it to football players in the year 2018, 19, 2021. 20, and do you know how it got in the combine? This is fun. This is, this
1: is actually a cool story. So Paul Brown was the first one to say, I need smart football players. Well, duh, we all agree. You have to be very smart to be very good in football. Um, and he was the one to first say, I want smart guys and I want them to study outside of practice. So, mm-hmm. rumor has it he used some kind of a, a standardized test, may have been the Wonderlick, which actually came out in 1932. Okay. However, um, it got popularized by a team we all know now as America's Team. Mm-hmm. But back in the day, it was known as America's computer team. Mm, right. They were the first, they were the first, first ones. In
0: scouting, yep.
1: Yeah. So they were the first ones to really use computers in scouting and also play breakdowns and player assessments. So back then when Landry and the Cowboys were just dominating, everybody essentially, and we say it's a copycat league to this day, but essentially everybody said, well, if they're doing it, I want to do it. Right. And so- everybody starts using the Wonderlic. And when the Combine was standardized in 1982, it was essentially just grandfathered in because people were using it anyway. So it was never researched, never proven. It was just popular. And so, yeah. And it's been a part of it ever since.
0: I think that um, they still give it, but a lot has changed in the last decade since we went through Vince Young and when we were at the Combine, I don't remember what year that is, 2009, maybe 2008. And the big rumor was Vince Young had a terrible Wunderlich score and it was all anybody could talk about. And like now nobody talks about the Wunderlich scores at all. Like it's, 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 I think at this point people have realized that it's not really a thing.
1: Yes and no, but it still does resurface. And actually it was partially Vince Young that, you know, intelligence scores first of all are never supposed to be public information it's illegal um and so the the fact that it became so big and it became so public the nfl actually went from having that part of the combine be public information Mm -hmm. to private and i know that because they did it after i had proposed my dissertation on publicly available information Ah,
2: right right
1: so I had to rewrite the whole pitch, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was, it was a nightmare. Don't ever go on a mission because you'll, <laughs> end up and, um, you'll still be talking about it, but you yeah. know, those scores do still surface. And mm-hmm. I think it's, it's happened about two or three times where at times I've gotten called on it, obviously, because mine's still the most comprehensive research to date. Um, mm-hmm. I actually want to go out and look at you know more longevity. I may I may hit you guys up and get some more um, some more data on those guys. If I can ever go back and attach the names to the scores, because that's the first thing you have to break. Right. But Um. It's come up a few times, and um. I've called like buddies at ESPN. I'm like, don't let this become a thing. And if you do, you better call me so I can talk about it because this right. is not okay to this young man. And, right there are a few people there that are like, yeah, Jen, we've got you on speed dial in case it gets out of control because, you know, those stories tend to have a life of their own. And, you know, I think it's responsible journalism when we say, no, we know, we know what this is and we're, we're not going to add fuel to the fire. Um, But I have had those conversations several times. Like if this comes up, um, please allow me to speak on the actual research because it's really important that somebody's life reputation and, those rumors extend beyond football. I mean, people still see those things about Vince Young to this day, and it's very detrimental. And that's why, that's why, you know, we have to be really specific about intelligence scores and utility.
0: Indeed. Useful title asks, didn't Dan Marino have a really bad score too? Do either of you remember anything about it? He did.
1: He did. Okay. Here's one of the things I have to tell you guys um, I And, you know, being in the football world, I've talked to so many guys like Rod Woodson, I'll tell you, is a great example. So I talked to Rod and he, you know, we were talking, I just coached at his camp. He's a dear friend and he laughs. He's like, oh, that shit. He said, I walked in and I went, boop, 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 never read it. Like, <laughs> and, and that's one of the problems is that you are not in a testing environment. You have right. guys who have put every single ounce of themselves into protecting their craft. And then you want them to shift gears and take a 12-minute time test, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, um, it doesn't account for any learning disabilities, anything. Right. It's a terrible test. But the truth is that there are a lot of guys who just, it's just not relevant to them. Um, and so it's not even... Reliable in terms of its predictive value, in terms of the scores that they put up. Because if you got a guy like Rod, who I can say I don't I don't know what his score was, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't good. The way he told me the story, and he was like, <laughs> "And you know what? I did what I did." And I'm right. like, you know, um, thankfully he was good enough to do what he did, and nobody doubted that. But on other guys, it it definitely has had a negative impact, which means. If it hurts your draft rank, it costs you a whole lot of money. And that's why I say it's a stupid test.
0: Well, I think we're in agreement there. Uh, We want to promote your book a little bit. For those people who don't know, Jen wrote a book. It's called Play Big, Lessons in Being Limitless from the First Woman to Coach in the NFL. So definitely look that up and check that out. Tell us about your experience coaching with Bruce Arians, because, I mean, that's who you had your time in the NFL with. And obviously, Bruce Arians is someone we want to talk about because he won the freaking Super Bowl last year. So, like, what is Arians like and how did that help him manage all the egos in Tampa Bay? And by all the egos, I mean Antonio Brown. (laughs) (laughs) i mean yeah there's some other egos in tampa bay but let's be talking let's talk about who's actually hard to coach
1: (laughs) well let's let's just say with antonio brown i think tom brady and giselle managed his ego i'm i'm just i'm just saying you know tom brady was smart enough to say he's going to be in my house which means there's good ab and bad ab as we have all seen throughout his career um But, you know, B.A. is a really special guy. You see what I did there with the A.B.B.A. Yeah. You know, he turned that guy right around. Um, I I remember the first moment I met Bruce Arians. It was at Arizona Cardinals OTAs. He had invited me out. Now, I the closest I had ever been to an NFL team in that at that time was the nosebleed section. Right. Like. Women in football and men in football at that time really like that was a line that was not crossed. It was two completely separate worlds. And I'm walking out there and I I had a friend who used to play for the Cardinals, Rodney Thomas. And he was like, I'll take you. He was like, I don't want you to feel left out of sorts, like, you know, because even going in there, knowing where to go and who to, you know, is weird. And so Rodney's like, hey, yeah, we I go to OTAs all the time. I need to catch up with the guys. I'll bring you so I'm out on the field and obviously the, the second I'm there, the ponytail is a little distinct, um, BA walks over. So here's the most powerful guy on the field. And he, in minute one made me feel like I was the most important person there. And that's something I would say about BA is like when he's with you, he's with you. Right. Um, he always says like, coach him hard and hug him harder later right he is an all in it guy you um and and he really values what he says reading a guy's eyes um and that's the question he asked about me to my other head coach um and that's knowing what a guy needs on what day and that it isn't one size fits all and he credits his time as a bartender um as as how he learned how to read what somebody needs. So he is very much a player's coach always has been. And somebody who realizes that like, you know, people need to be coached and brought up in very different ways. So he meets me out on the sidelines and the first thing we turn the corner and, you know, there's a bunch of guys on bikes. Right. And he's like, Oh, Oh, we're on bikes. This is amazing. And I'm like, What's going on right like I have no idea and I don't know yet how funny this dude is because he's uh, hilarious right and he goes coach you know what that is right there and I was like no coach and he said oh in the offseason we're gonna get drafted we work really really hard to run really really fast in a straight line uh, and then the second they have to play football oh look I'm injured that's what those fights <laughs> represent and I was like okay. (laughs) Right. Like just start laughing. And then, you know, he's talking to me and he said, um, he was pointing out, I guess, um, you know, he showed me that the NFL could watch wherever the practices were. And he Mm -hmm. said, I'm really glad you came today and not yesterday. All the spies were here coach. And I wouldn't have even been able to talk to you, but today, yeah, and I can make these guys, you know, take a little bit of a load and I can come over here and talk to you. And I was like, this guy's like telling me he's playing hooky, like hanging out, like how cool <laughs> is he? Right. This right. is the head coach. And he's like, just having fun. And he's like, chucking jokes at people and just is that dude. And he's like, hey, coach, I bet this one will shock you. And I was like, what's that? He said, so those cameras are on to make sure we do the right things to practice at all times. You know, I can only put these guys in pads. 14 days in regular season, how the F, and I don't mean football, <laughs> am I supposed to build a team when I can only put pads on guys 14 days? And I remember I just looked at him and I said, well, coach, maybe you should come get some of my guys for indoor. Cause I can promise you they haven't been out of pads 14 days. And <laughs> frankly, I don't think I was out of pads 14 days, my whole career. Mm-hmm. And he looks at me and he smiles and he goes, by the way, I F and cuss. I said, good. <laughs> it's effing football,
0: right? I have a feeling, yeah, that a lot mm-hmm. of football coaches cuss. <laughs> one of the highlights of Hard Knocks this week was learning that well, the new British Dallas defensive line coach cusses a lot in a British accent. Nice. Which makes it better. <laughs> yes. You know, I,
1: I remember in that moment, he just looked at me and he smiled. And, you know, this was after a few different like conversations. And he asked me about, he actually asked me about my research with the Wonderlick, And I said, it's a stupid test. He goes, good. I agree. You know, like yeah. things like that. Right. The whole conversation ended up being about 20 minutes at that point. And, but it was that phrase that he looked at me and he smiled and he was like, all right, coach. I probably should get some work done. These guys are all looking at me like they expect something from me. You know, I've been Mm -hmm. hanging out with you. So I got to kind of do my job. Do you mind hanging out here until the end of practice? Cause I want to talk to you more. And I was like, okay, I'm on the sidelines of like an NFL team. Where else do I want to be? Right. Like this dream come true for a, for a girl who's played it everywhere and tried to do everything. And, um, and I talked to his wife about it later and I said, I have a theory and I told her the story and she looked at me and she goes, Oh, honey, that was your job interview. I know my husband, yeah. right? Because <laughs> as I say, if the F word, and I don't mean football would have phased me, how the F could I have handled being the first female coach in the NFL? Cause there mm-hmm. were going to be a lot tougher things than that. And he needed to know that, you know, I had an easygoing personality and could kind of bounce with it, roll with it. And it was that. And that the guys respected me when I had played with them and coached them that gave him the confidence, um, that I could really handle it. But to me, that's the core of Bruce Arias. Like he doesn't really care what your package is. He's got to understand how you fit and how you're going to work in his team. And can you bring something different and special? He used to ask me stuff all the time to tap into my PhD, because as he said, like coach, nobody else has that. And you've played the game and you've done this. So yes, I was there as linebackers, but um, you know, there was no, there was no hierarchy with him. Like if he thought you were the best person to ask for something or to do something, that's what he was going to do. And, you know, I think about having talked to like Larry Fitzgerald. Right. So I was talking to Fitz one day and in Bruce's offense, he used to have this, you know, slow motion that brought him right to the edge of the line of scrimmage. And as the inside linebacker coach, I knew, okay, Fitz is blocking. They're running mm. to this edge, right? Like it was, it was money in the bank. Mm. And I looked at him. I was like, Fitz, you know, you know, we know exactly what you're doing when you do that. <laughs> And he starts laughing and he goes, yeah, that's that BA for you. I never should have showed that dude I could block. Mm-hmm. And yet it was his ability to block that B.A. saw that extended his career for okay. this many years. And most number one receivers would not. I mean, we saw Tim Tebow failed miserably at blocking, right? Mm-hmm. Blocking is an art. And yet to take somebody who is a goat, right? Like Larry Fitzgerald, first ballot Hall of Famer, mm-hmm. and to transform him in a way because he knew the guy could and would do it for the good of his team, because he's that selfish, selfless. And to make that an integral part of the offense that nobody had ever done before, that's how BA is successful, right? He literally looks into what makes a player really special and does his best to pull that essence out of them and put them in positions where they'll succeed, especially when it might be something that's less than traditional. And that's how you see him, you know, um with a lot of different egos because he does create a culture where you want to be there you want to play there you don't mind working hard and as you saw i mean tom brady's done it for years right taking less salary that he could put you know good guys around him but that's not traditional for like nadamic and sue Right. right. Like you said, right. egos. Like for Nadamik and Sue to take less money to keep that team together. That says you have a culture yeah. um, of the, the foundation of a dynasty and that guys want to be there, which means you know, there's a lot of things he has about that. One of them is is family. And he told me a story about <laughs> he was on a team, and I won't say which one it was. And I don't like throwing people's business out there, but he was on a team and this was one of those teams. They could not leave until the head coach left. Right. Didn't matter if the work was done, everything else. And he goes, man, that dude, I swear he used to sleep in the office because he just didn't want to go home. The rest of them <laughs> want, to go home, right? You right. want to leave at some point. you got all your work done. I mean, coaching is it's, it's exhausting. He's like, my guys want to come in early so that they can get home a little earlier if they're early night guys, it's fine. If they want to come in a little bit later and work later at the night, because, you know, they get to see it as long as they're filling their team obligations in the middle, he's one of those guys, right? Like he'd be like, okay, yeah, it's fine if you need to take and finish that at home because you want to tuck your kid in, right? Like those are things that BA does that may sound smaller to us, but having been in that environment is huge, right? right? And so he's like, you know, my son had a football game and here I am, I'm coaching up everybody else's kids and I'm not getting to see mine play. So I decided one day I'm gonna go make this game. And he said, so I told all the other coaches, um, if, if, if he comes looking for me, uh, tell him I went running. Yeah. Said, so I changed into all my running clothes and where I ran to was I ran to go see my son's game. And he said, and then when I ran back on to the, uh, to the team, I splashed some water on my face. So nice. I <laughs> and he said, sure enough, I ran into the head coach. And he said, coach, when did you start running? <laughs> right. And uh, Three and, hours and later. Was, right. And and it was things like that that made him want to have, and it's, again, it's a really hard place in a space to, to find balance because there is always more to do, but he has his ways of building in um, some of that flexibility. He's always like, don't you tell me you missed that, that for your kid cause you'll, you'll regret that for the rest of your life.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but he does have that understanding for his players. Like I remember um, Larry foot, who was my mentor um, at Arizona when Troy Polamalu was getting um, inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Um, we used to say we were Steelers West because he literally stole all the talent from the Steelers and brought them uh, West. Uh, mm-hmm. um, and, and that's one thing about him too; he's very loyal to his people. Um, but he let he let Larry Foote go to the induction. He said, "You can't miss that. Like that's family." And so you know, things like that. He just really has a mix of work and play. Um, And it is like a family affair, right? Like the jokes are thick, the, you know, the celebrations we celebrate together, it really is a family and, um, and people want to be a part of that family. And when you set that culture, it's, you know, any great team that I've been around the diamonds were like that for, you know, for, you know, 10 years, we had four championships, right? Mm. Uh, 04, 05, 06, and 08. And it becomes a situation where people want to step up to the championship level, right? And everybody knows we just move differently. It's not like somebody's yelling at you all the time to get you to do that, but you're actually seeking out ways that you can be better for the team because everybody's in it to win it together. And you can see that that's really what he's building in Tampa. And that's why guys want to play there. That's why it's becoming um, a destination to play for guys. Um, And it, it is, yes, it is the Tom Brady effect, which is part of it, but it's also BA realizing that I'm as good as everybody around me. And that means letting them be great and also being really open to things that you think might work now. And he will put it to you though. He's like, we can try it, but if it doesn't work, I'm going to blame you for it. And then we take (laughs) it back out. Right. Like he, he has no bones about that, but there's no, there's no, like, I think I have all the answers. He's really open to trying things. The only thing I will say is it better work. Um, But, you know, like I said, I mean, here I am in there as, um, and one of the things, it's funny, you know, you said um, intern coach, he would actually get mad if he heard that because he said they're all coaches. Right. I, that, and if, it, you know, He said that day one, I think he said, first of all, take that term, that asterisk and take it right out of there. He said, yeah, you man. are all here because you are coaches and you mm-hmm. are here to coach. If you think you're going to walk around and carry a clipboard, get the hell out of here right now we need more coaches at this time during the year because we have more players. So you are here to coach. Don't you ever think that you can't be exactly why you're here. And that I think for all of us, right. Like, I mean, we had NFL legends in that room, like Willie Williams played, like, you know, all these guys are like icons, which I'm like looking around, like, Oh, they let me in the building. Like they must Mm -hmm. be taken. Um, but he wanted everybody to show up as their best self and to not feel like they couldn't bring that to the table. Um, and we even had like, it was kind of a running joke with the guys when something would happen, whether it was a, a staff member that struggled. We had that at one point. We also had another player who, um, you know, had a, a personal time that was tough. They would look at me in the meeting and they'd be like, uh, coach, can you that guy? And I'm like, but what yeah. is this? And yeah. they're like, that, that psychology stuff, can you, <laughs> <laughs> So you know, it was a, it was a known thing that this yeah. man, uh, coach Jen go fix his head, <laughs> um, you know, and that was not a, you know, an asterisk kind of coach. Like right. he doesn't do levels like that. and And mm-hmm. that's why you see people flourish. Like I guarantee with AB, he said, you can be as great as you want to be. We all know what you're capable on the field. So we got to get this part straight. If we can get this part straight, you belong here and you can be a really valuable part. And hey, if you screw it up, you're not going to have another shot. So you might as well make it stick. And and then he you know, put him in Tom Brady's house.
0: It, it yeah. sounds like you favor the players coach uh, mentality a lot more than the hard ass mentality
1: you know, it's very situational, right? I think with coaching and if you read my book, you'll see this, like, um, I was actually coaching coaches, um, on coach athlete relationships and feedback mechanisms. That was one of my specialties, um, in both my master's and my PhD, um, was coach athlete relationships. And, you know, if you are, Um, one of the biggest things is, is consistency and fairness, right? Like if you're a hard ass, you got to be the same hard ass to everybody. Mm. Otherwise it becomes inauthentic. If you're a player's coach and people know that you're going to value different things, you just, you have to, to show like consistency in say, um, how you handle things, but, um, maybe your approach is different, right? Like how you talk to them might be different, but like if you have a policy, the policy isn't personal, right? right. And so it's it's the consistency um, that gives you um, credibility. So again, if you're going to be that guy, you got to be that guy to everybody. And then you have to get buy-in from your players, wherever that is. And if you have a, say a hard ass up top, that's okay too. But then you need um, you need the more relational elements to be, say, your um, maybe your coordinators or your position coaches that also give you a soft place to land within a very hard world and hard structure, because you do need to value the people um, who are actually executing the plays.
2: So, very, so similar to teaching, by the way, so similar mm-hmm. to relationships in classrooms. You can be very like a a, you know law and order teacher you can be a little bit more of a loosey-goosey teacher but it's that authenticity and the consistency otherwise suddenly you're trying to scream or suddenly trying to be like the good cop and it just does not it does not work
1: yeah like I made Calais Campbell really laugh really hard one time Mm -hmm. I I love Calais okay he was he was one of the first guys I met when I went into Arizona and um, it, it, I want you to picture, and I'm going to show my age a little bit, the scene in blue chips, when they say, Jack, mm-hmm. don't step on the children, um, <laughs> right. kind of how I felt because I was like way too busy and probably disoriented. You know, I'm in a brand new spot and I'm, I'm going and and you have a corner like this and I'm going to go around the corner. And I literally like, and it's class, yeah. right? Really? Like, and I just like look up and I'm like, <laughs> you're class, aren't you? Right. Like there's not that many that many men that giant. And he looks down and he's like, yes, coach Jen. And it's really great to meet you. I've been wanting to meet you. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. um, and from day one, he was just somebody I really vibed with because he's really into, um, leadership and psychology and he thinks a lot about it, right? Like how could he be a good captain, a good leader? And so we would talk about those things a lot. And I remember, um, it was like, I think it was our last day of training camp um, and Calais was uh, it, the vibe was just not great. Guys were kind of lackadaisical, you know, they're, they're already checked out. Mm. Duh. Right. Like they're yeah, already thinking about the training camp, camp
0: version of senior ditch day, basically. Yeah.
1: Yes, yes <laughs> exactly. And as a captain, Calais was taking it very personal which obviously that's not a situation that's personal so it's kind of tough because like Mm. Calais it doesn't really matter what you did like this isn't about you being a big captain they're they're checked out and he was like coach I mean I just I feel like maybe I should have blah 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 blah." and I looked at him and I was like Calais and he was like (laughs) right like I mean I yelled at him right right right. coach coach and I was like (laughs) Well, Calais, you wanted to get guys fired up, right? Yeah. And he was like, Yeah, yeah. Huh? And I said, Well, then we should just get in a fight because it's about the only thing that's going to get them. Attention. <laughs> right, right. And he was like, Oh my gosh, coach, like, I thought you were serious for a second if I was the one who like notoriously didn't yell and it was actually like mm-hmm. a running joke um mm-hmm. because me yelling at those guys would be really ineffective right like mm. I'm fine too like they could step on me if they wanted to right <laughs> like but the look on his face was like terrified and it was like he didn't even know what to do he couldn't even yell back because it was so out of character and I was Got like it. The only thing that's gonna get these guys attention at this point is a fight. So if so you want to go, we can go. <laughs> Other than that, I suggest that you just let it go. And he was like, "Man, coach, you're the best!" Like, and he just laughed. But you know, it, it's it's those kinds of things that you know you have to realize. It's it's catching somebody's attention. And I say any great coach athlete relationship has to be founded on trust and love right? Like love meaning I care about you as a person, not just an entity that is executing a play or the human extension of a robot that doesn't work. Right. Hey, you know, um, and then second of all, I trust that everything that you have me do is in my best interest, right? That you're giving me the best that you've got. Now, does that mean it's going to be perfect? No, because we don't have perfect information, but that, you know, if I say like, Hey, you know what, this hole's going to be there. If you've hit it full speed, that that gap's going to be there. That requires trust because the second you half step, the hole's no longer there and we fall apart. But if I sold you down the river or I told you something that wasn't true intentionally and we don't have the relational capital to be able to get past it, then we break down. And so whether it's a player's coach and, and a very empathetic relationship or more of an autocratic situation you still have to trust each other and you have to have buy-in right on what we're going to do is going to lead us to where we want to go if you want to be military style like hey we've seen wars won that way but it meant that everybody put their individual self um, at the uh, behind the good of the team and that we all bought in that we had a role in what we needed to do as a team to be successful and that you were the one to get us there.
0: So I have a question for you here from the chat uh, from Matt Noscow. What are some ways that you help players who are struggling mentally to the point where it affects their on-field production? So I think a basic sports psychology question there.
1: Yeah, so the first one is this, um, a difference in performance, right? From one day to the next, if I see a quarterback who can hit it in the bucket, you know, on a Monday, 99 times out of a hundred, and then on a Tuesday, he's 83 out of hundred. Has he lost the ability to physically do it? Likely no, right? Unless there was some kind of an injury. So instead of getting mad and saying like, what's wrong with you, blah, blah, blah. It can be, first of all, an easy conversation of, Hey, are you okay? Okay. Now, why is that important? Well, one, I noticed a difference. Two, I didn't amplify the problem because Mm -hmm. nobody wants to play bad, right? Nobody wants to have a terrible day, right? right. But three, I acknowledged that this is probably a human thing and not just a performer thing. So I gave you an opportunity, one, to realize that I was paying enough attention, two, to realize that you cared, three, to give you an outlet, because likely it's something else going on, whether it's a relationship with another coach or player and something in the locker room, likely it's probably something where you're not, which is at home. And because your mind's at home, it's not here. So then I become an ally in helping you fix that. If I help you fix that in your real life, then it becomes very easy to finesse technique and practice. So that's one, that's that relational element, because you have to trust that what I'm going to do is always in your best interest. Okay. Because if you don't have trust, you can have the best, you can have the best sports psychology trick. You can have this, that, and the other doesn't matter because they're not going to do it. They're not going to buy in. So you have to have that relational capital, right? And noticing someone like a human doesn't mean they'll always talk to you like, Hey, if you need it, I'm here. And I I tell people some of my most valuable moments for those moments in the hallway that started with coach, do you have a minute? Yes. I always have a minute. I can find a minute. It may not be right now, it may need to be, you know, after this meeting, but yes, I always have a, a minute because you're my player and the definition of me as a coach is how you perform. So yes, I always have that minute. Now, what you do in those minutes varies based on what is going on. A big one we talk about, it's an easy example, I would say, or well, relatively um, an important example, if I was only able to give one thing, um, it would be, you know, we talk about mental toughness as as if it's like you were born with it, like you were Stonehenge baby, right? Like like you came out of the crib just made with different stuff. That's not actually the case, right? Mental toughness doesn't mean immunity. It doesn't mean that you are not affected by bad plays. It doesn't mean that you don't get bothered. It doesn't mean that you don't get mad or or feel distress. What it means is that you have the ability to refocus, recenter, and get back to present um, faster than a lot of other people. And so what mental toughness really is, is being able to be present um, and to focus on what's in your control on each play. So it's not the weather, You can't control that. It's not the bad call by the ref. It's not who's watching. All of those things pull you from the core of performance. So, how fast can I get you back to present? Doesn't mean you didn't acknowledge the terrible call, but did you let the terrible call take you out of the game for four plays? Or Was it just that one? And it was like, all right, I got you. I got to get back to present. So teaching athletes how to live in the moment, in what they can control, to slow down the excess bullshit of the world and pull it right down to center um, is probably one of the biggest things that we work on in sports psychology. Now, that can be through a visualization technique. That can be through, you know, something like cueing, like, you know, here's my, here are the reads of my keys. Um, you see it a lot like a, a pre-shot routine or a pre-kick routine, um, you know, a basketball player who always double bounces and then steps back and shoots. Um, and then you'll see it, they'll like shake their head sometime and they'll double bounce again because you want to get it as controlled and as, um, you know, as fluid without, without thought that a lot of the times it's what pulls us out of it. Um, as possible. And so helping them surround themselves with things that allow them to get into that mentality, whether it's putting pre-shot or uh, pre-game playlists together, whether it's helping them strategize on minimizing differences on game day Um, all of those external things. We want to, we want to take power out of them and give it back to the athlete to be able to bring themselves to center and then give them great cues to pull them back to present. Like when I used to play tennis um, to get myself back to present, if I was thinking badly, like I used to smack my hip and that was mine, like, come on, keep going. Right. Mm -hmm. So we all kind of need those things. Sometimes with receivers, it's, fixing your gloves so that you know that your hands are ready, right? Whatever those things are to do that really help you get to the core of, of what it is to be successful. um, That's what it is. And it might manifest in breathing. It might manifest in pre-shot. It might manifest in visualization and some of those.
0: Andy, Andy, Big Harry, Andy says, it sounds a lot like standard media uh, meditation techniques and talking about breathing and visualization definitely puts it in the line of like sounds like meditation techniques
1: it it is and and you know it is a um one of the things to realize is it's the level of activation that you need for success um and one of the things that makes football so cool is that that level of activation to um maximize um the information that you have to take in um is different positionally as well right like Um, a lot of the activation for a quarterback, for example, takes place in that pre-shot routine or, um, you know, pre-snap routine. And what do you need to see? You know, where are the safeties, what are the checks that I need to call, blah, blah, blah. And then they have other ones inside. Whereas like, so they need to be a little higher in their height and awareness, um, uh, a linebacker needs to be really fast and activated once the play starts. There's it, It's slower beforehand. You mean may need to know some stuff. And then you have somebody like a kicker who needs to be exactly the opposite of a linebacker because <laughs> if he's overly stimulated, he'll probably miss. Um, so So really understanding the positional differences too in football makes it, makes it very cool. You don't want your linebacker in a meditative state, right? Like, you know, like you said, it sounds like meditation. That guy might, might shut down if he was, um, slow enough in his mind to do that. Um, whereas your kicker much more so because he needs all internal data and the, um, The linebacker needs all external data.
0: Let me ask you a little bit about um, women in the NFL. What's your take on the progress that women have made in the NFL? There were eight female coaches in the league last year, and six of them were for playoff teams. So what's your take on the progress that's been made? and, And what do you think would help us make more progress? Well, first of all, knowing that six of them were on playoff teams means that the smartest teams are bringing
1: women in, duh, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. But you do see a lot of innovation and leadership in the teams that are bringing women in, right? Like um, Ron Rivera has has long been an innovator. Um, I love what Kevin Stefanski has done in bringing Cal Brown in um, as the chief of staff, you know, um, Obviously we know how I feel about Bruce Arians. And so um, you see some of these guys who like, you know, I know I can speak to BA. a, it, it's, it's his chance to do it his way. Right. He was one of, you know, he was an up and coming star in college, like one of the youngest first time head coaches. And then it took him to what 67, I think, to become yeah. a head coach for the first time. And he was done. He was going to retire after yeah, his time. And
0: I remember when he was going to retire. And then all of a sudden he was back. And then all of a sudden he
1: was head coach. Well, and he was back, right, to go into Andy. And he got the call from one of his best friends who said, let's give it one more ride. Yep. And, you know, BA ended up stepping in for Pagano as the interim head coach. And it was that time. Um, that really gave the Cardinals confidence to bring him in as a head coach because he knocked it out of the park. And, you know, when he got there and we talked about this, it's like you get the chance to do it your way. And that means that you get to make decisions and you get to say who you want around you. And, and you get to say, you know what, Change has been slow and let me be a part of the innovation and the next wave of leadership for the National Football League. And I think it's great to see coaches like B.A., like Ron Rivera, like Stavansky, um, you know, doing those things like Shanahan, doing those things and saying, this is my team and sports shift culture. We've seen it throughout time. And so when you are a head guy and you get to say what you want the culture of your team to be, and it happens to be in such a visible platform, you're then saying, my team is going to also be a place and a space where we can demonstrate what we need to do as a society and in culture. And so, you know, that that's one place and space that we're innovating is making the higher levels of NFL teams and other sports teams as well. NBA has done a great job, Um, more inclusive in terms of our leadership. And why wouldn't we need to be more inclusive in our leadership when we're so diverse in our player personnel? Right. I'm not going to be everybody's back. Right. Like I'm not going to be the one that everybody talks to. And. It's not about being better as one individual versus another. Like when we talked about leadership style, what it is about is recognizing that different people will relate better to different people. And at the end of the day, we want a staff to accommodate Everybody that we've got in a more holistic way, so that everybody has a place to go and somebody that they can talk to and somebody who speaks their language, and that they feel comfortable learning from.
2: Is it frustrating that college football isn't moving as quickly in that regard, especially the way you describe it here as being, uh, you know, a leader in culture? So I think what's hard
1: is this, and having lived it, I know it. Right? Okay. I wouldn't have gotten a coaching opportunity with the Texas Revolution if I hadn't played on the team with those guys. Right. We were on the same field. We loved the same game. And I impressed Wendell Davis, former Dallas Cowboy, when he came in as the new head coach, as a football person, right. As one that the guys loved and respected, it was actually not even a football event where I caught his attention. It was You know, I walked into an event and all the guys picked me up and tossed me around. And, you know, we hadn't seen each other in a while. And it was a a teammate response. Right. And he was like, who's this girl that my guys? (laughs) Right. Like, what is this? And they said, coach, that's your running back. And he said, you know, I knew everything about you but I never expected that the guys would love you like that. And Mm -hmm. it was the relationship aspect that we have that intrigued him. And he sat me down and started grilling me about what was good with the team and what wasn't. Um, and you know, about football. And when I impressed him on a football level, the next day he called me and said, you have to coach my football team. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, because women didn't coach at that time. So instinctively, um, It it didn't fit in my vision of a coach, but what he saw was a football person and the work that I've, I know I've been trying to do, and you see the NFL trying to do it um, over the past couple of years is building opportunities where we're building those bridges, where we get on the same field and have a chance to get to know each other, to see each other around ball where you're like, oh yeah. I like the way that person approaches this situation or like I could see us working together for 16 hour days. Right. There's not the same pathway and feeder system where women and men are on the same field or even in the same locker room or even around the same cafeterias with football um, as there is in basketball where, you know, you saw Becky Hammond in San Antonio, like the WNBA and the NBA were in the same building. So you could see that person and you could appreciate her skill as a basketball person and, and somebody with rising potential. And so for us to continue to increase those opportunities of exponential growth, we have to increase opportunities where I, for lack of a better term, but we'll all get it where we get to date and not have to get married, right? Like, all right, all right. You know, like can we, can we coach at camps together? Can we be around the game? And then I say, oh, you know who would be really good? It's this person. It's not... I need a girl. Does anybody have right. a girl? Like I really want one. Like it sounds kind of, <laughs> dope, right. But like, if you haven't been around each other, you wouldn't even know that that's what you wanted. It right.
0: sounds like a big reason why in basketball, this has been a bigger deal is because the basketball people are used to women playing the same game. Mm-hmm. Um, so high school, what,
2: college, all the way up.
0: Right. right. So what can be done to foster the women's professional football and even like at the club level in colleges, like what can we do to foster women playing football? And like how's women professional football doing in the aftermath of 2020? And like, you know, because the more that we get used to the idea of women as football people, the more that football people are going to just see other football people and be like, all right, let's work together.
1: There are. And and so I think I like to say you need it from the top as a pull, right? Mm-hmm. Like for me, I, I couldn't look at a, at a sidelines at one point and say, I want to do what she's doing. I want to be her, right? That's why I told this, way of, like I said no instinctively because it wasn't being done, right? And that's the power of a first is it gives other people permission to dream it, to aspire to it, to see it and go after it the same way that a guy might, right? So then you can do the work, then you can go through the steps, then you can find the opportunities and set that as a goal, Right, So that's one part. And then you need it from the grassroots level. You need it from the youth level um, where girls get to get involved in the sport at earlier, earlier ages so that their fluidity and their knowledge is as developed as the guys, right? They've been speaking the language, they've been around it, they know what all these things are. It's not hard and rough, and you're having to learn all of it at once, right? So you have that same fluid growth of football as a part of your life, starting at a young age. We're getting better about that, right? Like, mm-hmm. for girls, we've done 40 camps across the country for girls in under four years. Um, and, and that's getting a lot of girls on the field at young ages so they could see that, that football is a possibility. Then you have, um, what NFL just did this last year, which was really make a big commitment to help more, um, high schools have girls, um, varsity flag football as an option, Right, so made a big pledge to help support that, which was huge. Good job, at NFL. And then you had the NIA, which added girls varsity collegiate flag football for the first that's time right. last season. So now girls can actually change the trajectory of their life and their education through football for the first time. Mm. So you have to go to college playing football. So that's mm. that's a big part of it, right? And then a lot of the coaches are going to be the same, right? Because if you're on campus and you get to instead of coaching. Um, you know, for high school and college, but instead of having to go coach something like that, you don't feel great about, which every coach has been in there. They're like, I don't really do this. Um, Then they could coach football for more seasons, right. Or GA ships or some of that. So then you get that same, Hey, we've been on the same field opportunity. And then you need the top level um, aspirational stuff. So you see like the world games in Alabama, Um, in 2022 are going to have seven on seven as a sport for the first time for both men and women. Mm -hmm. So this puts playing on a higher profile. And you also saw a banner year for both um, the WFA um, and the WNFC in terms of the viewership and championship that you got um, in their championship games, right? Mm -hmm. Like the WFA played their championship game at the Hall of Fame in Canton. Um, and the Patriots actually flew the Boston Renegades out. <laughs> um, in the WNFC, Dallas stepped up pretty big time. Um, the Dallas Elite, one of the best teams out there. And I'm not biased because I played for both of those teams. So, I mean, you know, what do I know? <laughs> um, I mean, I started with Boston. and I played most of my career with Dallas. So it's, it's close to home on both. Um, but the WNFC played at UNT um their championship game and they had their fan fest at the star um that's cool and so you're seeing it start to break through but it's just like every everything like we're at a tipping point or a point of exponential growth both of which you you guys being step people you know what that is what used to be like one you know yeah exception 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 one example one example is starting to hit that mark where you're going to see more and more because the work's been being done on many levels, right? At the top, increasing the visibility profile and possibility through women at the highest level, which is the NFL um, collegiate opportunities with the NAIA and NJCAA is adding next year. um, The women, the world games in Alabama and then the increased visibility and profile of women's tackle football. Um, So you're going to continue to see it. Um, now we just need more people to go ahead and, and jump in and go all in.
0: Nice. Sounds good. Thank yeah. you so much for joining us for this show. I definitely learned a lot about coaching and sports psychology, which is good. It's not something yes. I concentrate on very often, but it's important. I often say with the reason we're called football outsiders and not football psychologists, but you do need some football psychologists. <laughs> <laughs> um. So thank you, Dr. Jen Welter, for being on the show. Thanks to everybody who's watching and who's listening on the podcast afterwards. Don't forget to rate us on podcast apps. Uh, check us out. Check out also Scott Spratt's fantasy show, which is Tuesdays, also 1 p.m. Eastern. Check out Dr. Jen's Twitch channel, which is, what's your Twitch channel?
1: Twitch.tv slash Dr. Jen Welter. And it's a Welterweight-like in boxing. so...
0: Okay, Pretty and uh, Mondays and Tuesdays, and soon Thursdays. Yes. Yes. And I believe seven or six thirty, six thirty Mondays Eastern. Yep, we're usually six thirty or
1: seven Eastern.
0: Yeah. And uh, don't forget to put in a loser league team because we're site yes. league contest this year. It's your chance to find all the receivers who are going to catch two balls for fifteen yards and no touchdowns.
2: A lot of eagles. A lot of eagles. Pick Eagles.
0: Pick Eagles, <laughs> says Mike. Yeah, I'm going with Steelers running backs, and Mike is going with Eagles receivers. And maybe with Jalen Hurts. So those, running, those running points hurt you with Jalen Hur- Yeah,
2: yeah, I don't know. Sam Darnold is, is, is on my radar. Yeah. Look, Aaron, the only thing
1: I'm going to say about those Steelers um, and their offensive line is you do have now, as the O-line coach, he was the assistant last year, is Adrian Clem. Okay. Um, Adrian wow. Clem is an interesting guy. He actually has three rings with the Patriots, um, University of Hawaii grad, who then went and did his GA ship at SMU, really rose uh, through the ranks as a recruiter um, mm-hmm. and an eye for talent, particularly in developing O line players. That's where he okay. made his bones and then went from SMU to UCLA. So, um, Though it's new to have him in that headman spot, he is somebody who knows the role very well and has a particular eye for talent and development. So, um, though with any transition and losing the guys that they did on O line, yes, of course, it's going to be tough because they lost a lot of talent. Um, but I have known Adrian for years and years, so um, I-, I can't count him out, and I think that. You know, you have a great young running back there, um, which they sorely needed last year. So um, let's say that the running back position may become even more important,
2: especially if the
1: line is he just may have to run to the outside,
2: not the inside. It sounds like they found the right guy for developing young unknown linemen because that's the job. They may not be good
0: right away, but in the longer term, then then the question becomes who's their quarterback in the longer term. But now we're starting a much larger conversation (laughs) instead of ending the show. So (laughs) thank you for being on the show. Thanks to everybody for watching. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week on the Football Outsiders Radio Hour on Twitch. Have a good week. Enjoy week two of the preseason.